denies goodness in man, doesn't it? Somebody's alarm is going off. Okay, they may not be in here. That's all right. They got it half right because Scripture says exactly the opposite. And there's a story. One day uh, a man came up to Jesus and he said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And before Jesus answered, he said this, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So we have this idea in our culture, don't we? And we hear it, not just in the song that nobody else has heard except me, but you've heard it, I'm sure, in other songs, movies, TV, in the news, in the media, social media, people saying humans are basically good. That's a denial of what Scripture says, and it's in opposition to what Scripture says. No one is good. Which makes today's scripture puzzling because it talks a lot about being good. So we're going to kind of unpack this and find out how what is written in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 can become real to us and real in our lives. So let's turn, page 589 in your pew Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're only going to read two verses this morning, 11 and 12. Again, 589 in your pew Bible, or you can use an app, anything you want to. Uh, Bible you brought, or it'll also be up on the screen. Starting in verse 11, it says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to, abs- to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll add understanding to the reading of your word today, but not only that, that you will add obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 starts out, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners. I just want to just connect that back to the beginning. Do you remember the very beginning of 1 Peter? He said, we, uh, some versions say aliens. Some uh, talk about us being foreigners or strangers. It's a reminder, again, he's reminding, the, the author's reminding us. He's saying, remember, this is not your home. A sojourner, somebody's just passing through. They're going from one place to another. Our home is in heaven. If, if we are connected with God the Father through a relationship in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, marked with a seal of the Holy Spirit that guarantees our inheritance uh, in, in heaven, then we know this place is not our home. It's just a place we're passing through. And the author of 1 Peter wants to remind us at the very beginning uh, of this section to urge us as sojourners and exiles, remember, he says, you're not from here. But while you're here, abstain from passions of the flesh. Uh, another way to put that is abstain from sinful desires, depending on what translation. Uh, New International says abstain from sinful desires. Uh, English Standard Version, which we're reading from, says abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Anybody amen? Do the passions of the flesh, do the sinful desires of this world wage war against your soul? Let's just admit it right up front. The author of 1 Peter knows because they wage war against his soul as well. One of the keys to abstaining from sinful desires is being honest with ourselves. Who's good at being dishonest with yourself? You don't have to raise your hand. But, but some of you put your hand up and you know, oh, oh, I don't have to, okay, I won't. You can if you want to. I mean, we're really good at fooling ourselves, aren't we? We're good at lying to ourselves. We're good at deceiving ourselves. We say things are, are great and they're okay and they're really not. <clears throat> the 
this is really what it comes down to is a question of integrity. And so I'm going to define uh, integrity a couple different ways. Let's look at the first one up here. It says integrity is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. And, and, and maybe that's not up there after all. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. The quality of being honest. That's what integrity is. But there's another definition that I, I really like. This is a definition that comes to mind when we think of integrity, but this second one is really closer to what I'm driving at, and it says this. Integrity is the state of being whole and undivided. Would you say that you are whole and undivided? Mentally, spiritually, are you whole and undivided? Or do you live with a foot in one world and a foot in another? That's what, first, that's what the author of First Peter is calling out to us. He's saying, look, you, you're living in two worlds. You're saying you live like this, but you're really living like this. So becoming a, a person of, of goodness in, in what First Peter's talking about, becoming a goodness of person, uh, a, a, a person of goodness really comes down to living in one world or the other. Planting your feet both in the same place. Am I going to, to be a person of integrity? In other words, not just saying uh, this is the way I live, but living this other way, but actually living the way I say I'm living, which if you've tried, you know is difficult, which is why we're going to unpack this puzzle today. When we're not acting and we're not living with integrity, it is as if we're fractured. It's as if we're divided. It's as if we're broken, we're crooked, we're tilted, like the song I mentioned. We say we live one way, but we really live another, and that doesn't please the Lord, does it? And if you're honest with yourself, it's not pleasing to your soul. If you're a follower of Christ, and the Spirit of God lives within you, and you're living a divided life, I hope you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in conviction saying, The Holy Spirit talks quietly, and we drown him out, don't we? Music, TV, the radio in the car, noises, sounds, entertainment, video games, whatever it is. I'm not pointing any fingers or saying anyone is right or wrong, but we drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit. He speaks quietly to us, and he says, get planted in one place. Anybody ever seen Shawshank Redemption? It's got some questionable, I, I like the TV version, it's much cleaner. But I love the line in there where he says, get busy living or get busy dying. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as we read this scripture. Plant yourself in one place. Get about the business of being whole and undivided and stop living fractured lives. Now, this next segment of scripture uh, picks up with this same idea. So let's read it together. Uh, you're going to have to look in your Bible or on your Bible app. It says this, uh, just to repeat what we read a moment ago, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of the visitation. Gentile in this text uh, was uh, a name for people who were outside of the people of God. So for us today, the understanding of what a Gentile would be, people who aren't Christ followers. Okay, so just, just a, a definition there for you. So keep your conduct among people who are not of Christ, people who are not Christ followers, Keep your conduct among 
pretty much everybody else in the world except Christ followers, is what he's saying. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If we don't, we invite the criticism of hypocrisy, don't we? Anybody ever heard that? People say in the church, the church is full of what? Hypocrites. <laughs> you know what a hypocrite is? If you go back to the definition of a hypocrite, it's an actor. It was an actor that put on a mask. Uh, what, what did, what, so, so connect that to integrity. I'm an actor. I'm wearing a mask. I'm somebody else. We watched a, I, I love Hallmark movies. Sorry. <laughs> I know it's funny. Lydia and I watched a Hallmark movie yesterday. It was something about being in Iceland. Anyway, so it was, uh, and they have various qualities. Some of them are good. Some are totally cheesy. This one was really good. And I found myself thinking, okay, these people from Iceland that are in the movie must be people they just found on the street. And I was so disappointed because I like looked it up and it, they're like actually Icelandic actors. I thought they were just regular people. They were really good at putting on that mask. They were really good at seeming like they were, gen- they were Icelandic, so they had the accent. They spoke whatever they speak in Iceland, and they also spoke English, and they had the accent, and they had the look, and they lived in the places and the houses, but they were acting. They weren't really the people they were portraying to be, although I bought it. I'm a sucker. I thought they were really a lighthouse keeper and his wife, and I thought they were really some people playing and singing some music in a little pub, and it turns out they were just actors. Is that how the world sees you? Those Christians are just actors. They look the part. And in fact, some people in the world will say, I believed them. I really thought they were Christ followers. I really thought that they were different until I saw this happen. Or until this happened in the church. And I, or I read about this in the news. And then I realized maybe they're all just actors. They're hypocrites. They're wearing a mask. They have a foot in two worlds. They say they live in the world of Christ, but in fact, they live in the world that we all live in, saying one thing and doing another. Why are we so prone to this as humans? Why are we so prone to lying to ourselves? I don't know. And and, and so prone to putting on this veneer. Um, Pastors get that sometimes. People say, oh, you know, the pastor, he's just putting on an act. You know, they they come to the church and they smile, but at home everything's a wreck. That's true for some guys. But again, we're all human. So how do you live with a wreck and still be real? Part of that is just deciding to be honest with people. That's one of the things Lydia and I strive to do with you guys. Well, I don't want you to say, I don't want you to ever say or ever think Pastor Sean just puts on a good show on Sunday, but everything else is another way. We strive to share with you what's going on in our lives, what's hurting us, what's making us happy, what's good, what's bad, what's ugly. We don't talk about it from here, (laughs) you know, because this gets recorded and it goes out on the internet. Hey, internet, glad you guys are out there. Welcome if you're not, you didn't know that. Not the music, don't worry. Marissa's like, oh my gosh. It's okay, Marissa, not the music, just the message. Whew. She got hot there for a minute. We tried the music for a couple weeks, and then we stopped. We stopped. Marissa's like, glad. Woo. We don't necessarily just broadcast to the world at large, here's all the junk going on. But we have junk just like you guys. We have issues. We have family stuff. 
Uh, we have extended family stuff. We have sickness. We have death. I shared today about a family that uh, when we heard, uh, it was a family, and Lydia used to teach this boy in, in class every Sunday. And he got run over and killed. And it, it was a heartbreak. And stuff like that is heartbreaking. And so part of not being a hypocrite, part of being real, is, is opening up and sharing yourself. Right? But it's also deciding, and we're going to get to this because we're, we're going to unpack some words in a minute, but, but deciding to be in the place you're at with Christ. Are we going to be there? Am I going to be wholehearted? Am I going to be fully involved, fully committed, fully connected, and undivided? Now, we live in this world where the word, we live in a world where the word virtual is a big buzzword. You guys like the word virtual? Virtual is kind of cool, right? Uh, I made some notes here. We can study in a virtual classroom, work in a virtual, anybody work in a virtual workplace? Kind of. Some, we have some kind ofs. Jordan, you can do a lot of what you do virtually, right? So if you're in IT or in tech, uh, Isaac, can you do your stuff virtually? Yeah. So a lot of us can do that. Um, we play games in virtual worlds. Anybody do that? Fortnite, Minecraft, fill in the blank. Virtual worlds, virtual places, they don't exist anywhere except in a computer. We can even take virtual tours and virtual vacations. Anybody ever done that? Okay. I, I love to do that. And, and, and again, whenever we watch something on TV, almost well, most of the time, 50, 70% of the time, I get my iPad out. And I find out where whatever we're, we're watching was filmed. Like last night, I went to Iceland. I go to Google Maps, and I go to Iceland. And I zoom in, and I go to the grocery store. Have you ever done that? If you zoom in, and you click on the grocery store icon, it'll populate photographs that people who have been to the grocery store have taken in the store and post online. You can go to restaurants. You can go to, I, I love to do that. Restaurants, uh, clothing stores grocery stores, whatever. It's fun. And then you can go to landmarks. You can go to like the geysers or the waterfalls or the different stuff, uh, you know, for instance, in, in Iceland. It's a virtual vacation and I didn't have to go anywhere, right? And I didn't spend any money. I just got on, on Google Maps. Um, it's fascinating. And you can look at their language as it's printed on different things. Anyway, it, it, it's fun. I, invo- I enjoy it. But let's take a look at this word virtual. We've got a couple definitions. The first one says this. Virtual uh, is defined as almost or nearly as described, but not completely, or according to strict definition. So it's almost like what it represents. We would use it in a sentence and say, that is virtually the same, right? You you would buy something, you would eat something, you would taste something, and say, that's virtually like I made um, the Greek lemon rice egg soup, right? And I tasted it, and I said, it's virtually like Mary's. It wasn't really. <laughs> I was fooling myself. I was like, it's, it's, you know what happened? I put in way too much rice and it soaked, it just turned into like lemon, egg, gruel. What do you, like uh, gruel. It was thick. I messed it up. It was bad. But it was virtually like Mary's. That's not true. Mary's is much better. But here's a definition I really like. It looks like it's a little bit cut off on the screen, but it says this. Not physically existing as such, but made by software to appear to do so. That's the virtual that most of us understand. It's not real, it doesn't exist, but it's made to to appear as if it's real by a computer through software and hardware and and, and different kinds of things. Anybody ever worn those virtual? Yeah, that's mind-blowing, right? 
It's virtually there. It's almost there. It, it, it seems like it's real, but it's made and generated by a computer, and it fools us into thinking we're there. If we take these words away from this definition that refer to software, we have a pretty good working definition for hypocrisy. Listen to this. Hypocrisy, not physically existing as such, but made to appear so. Would you say that some or all of the state of your Christian life is lived out in this way? Not physically existing as such, but, a, but made to appear so. I hope you say no. But some of us could be, the answer could be yes. I, I make it look as if this is real, but it's not. Hypocrisy is simply this, virtual goodness. It's almost like goodness. It's almost like Mary's soup, but not quite. It's gloppy. <laughs> virtual righteousness. Virtual uprightness. It, it, it's almost like the real thing. It, it looks good. You ever looked like, like the words over here? I was thinking how good it looks from the back. It looks great back there, right? It's like everything looks smooth. It looks wonderful. But you get up close, and you can see all the little, all the little pixels start to appear. It's virtually like real letters that I cut out and are all nice and smooth and glued on the wall. It's kind of like that. It's made to appear so, but when you get up close, you can see that it's not exactly. It's just a projection. It looks like it's there, but it's not. Now, Paul writes a young first-time pastor named Timothy. He writes a couple letters to him. We, we know them as First Timothy and Second Timothy. So Paul, one of the um, early leaders in the church uh, that we discover in Acts, has written Timothy a couple of letters and instructed him. And in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read there for a moment. It's going to be page 578 in your pew Bible. I'm going to turn over to it and read it out of here. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, in Paul's instruction to Timothy, it says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, uh-oh, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Listen to what he says. Having the appearance of godliness, virtually godly, but denying its power. And then he instructs Timothy, avoid these people. Avoid the fakers. Avoid the virtual. Avoid the people that look like they're righteous but are not. And see, when we don't live holy and upright lives, completely planted in one place, which is in Christ, not in two worlds, but in one, and the world looks in and sees us, they don't know whether we're the real thing or we're the virtual thing. That's why Paul had to instruct Timothy, Timothy, you live this way and you lead your church as a pastor, as a young pastor, here's how you lead your church. Lead them to, to avoid this kind of life. Don't just have an appearance of being godly, but instead be godly. Having virtual godliness, looking like godliness at the end of the day is not real. It's not there. 
uh, it's on again, off again. It's something we can turn off when we go home. Some of us today might go out into our cars and turn it off. We get home and we turn it off. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll pull that out next Sunday. Any, don't tell me if you do this, but some folks, they go in the car, throw the Bible in the glove box, and that's it. Next week, they pull the Bible out and they come into church. Hey, here I am. I love how the New Living Translation writers, it's a different translation of Scripture, translate verse 5 uh, of 2 Timothy 3. They say this, speaking about the, the, the people who have this appearance, he says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. They act religious, but instead they reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. God has the power to do the things he's teaching, the things that the author of 1 Peter has written, uh, the things that Paul has written. We're going to read in Ephesians in a moment, and the things that he wrote in First and Second Timothy, when were t- and, and all the things that they write and they say and they, they, they compel and they implore and they beg us to do can be done in the power of God, but they can't be done in the power of man, and they can't be done with a foot in each camp. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. So here's the most important question I'm going to ask you today. Are you acting today? Is this an act? Is this an act? Is this just a mask? I put it on, I go to church, I grab the Bible, I play the part, I check, check the box, uh, I'm checking off spiritual duties, I go into church, check. Back when Lydia... Uh, was younger. She went to a Southern Baptist church growing up. Her dad was a pastor, and they had, what did, what did you guys get checked off for? Brought your Bible, right? They had a little card, and whenever they go to Sunday school, who brought their Bible? And all the kids will hold, hey, you got to, so they get a check mark. Brought your Bible. What else did you have to do? What were the other check marks? Brought, brought, a, brought an offering? Check. Read your Bible this week? Check. Came to church? Check. If this is that for you, Forget it. This is pointless. It, 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 it's producing nothing. It's, it's acting. It's, it's a foot in each world. This isn't an act. This isn't check off spiritual boxes. So the question to you today is, are you acting? Some of us are much better actors than we give ourselves credit for. In fact, our acting is so good, we have convinced ourselves. We think we are righteous. We think we are upright. We think we are living good, holy, honorable lives before the Lord when in fact we're acting. So if you're at all concerned that that might be you, just pray, Holy Spirit, show me if I'm acting. And maybe even say, show me where I'm acting, right? The writer of 1 Peter and Paul and Timothy are saying this to us today. Stop acting. Start living good lives that lead to godliness. But again, we can't manufacture goodness. Who is good? Good teacher. Why would you call me good? There's no one good except God. So how do we do this? We, we're, we have a conundrum. It's like parents telling your children, be good. Are the children ever good? Never. I like Kevin. You should have just said it out loud. Kevin said, never. His kids are listening. Sorry, Kevin. Kevin, Kevin Jr. John. Wherever, well, John's probably upstairs. He's like, Sorry. Are, you, are the kids ever good? I mean, sometimes for a moment, 
when they're asleep <laughs> and you have to double check by looking in the room to make sure they're actually there. Are you asleep and are you in bed? Our, I don't know how, uh, when our kids were at home there in high school, I don't think they ever fell asleep before we did. They could have been off gallivanting all through the night. We'd never have known it because they stayed up late and they got up late and they were late to school. They were late for everything. They were just late. And some of you have kids that are just like that. It's like we just had to go to bed. We're like, we're tired. It's, it's like 3 a.m. and you guys aren't asleep yet. We're going to bed. Not, we didn't stay up that late. But they did. They still do. And they're in college and they stay up late. Second Peter. A couple pages over from where we are in First Peter. Second Peter chapter 1, just the first half, the first part of verse 3 says his. That his refers to God. So let's say God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Did you know if you are in Christ, God has granted to you, in other words, he's given to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. You are equipped, Christ follower. You're you're granted, Christian, all things that pertain to life and godliness. So what does this real life look like? Not the virtual life, but what does the real life look like? Real life and godliness. Paul explains again uh, as he wrote to Titus, another person who he, he would write to, a new convert to Christianity, a friend and a partner to Paul who sought to be an evangelist. And Paul wrote him a letter called Titus, and he wrote to him and educated him and taught him. And in chapter 2, Verses 11 through 14, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce. Remember that word. We're going to come back to renounce in a second. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Are you zealous for good works? That's what God wants to create in you. Zealous for good. You think about the word zealot. You ever heard of anybody referred to as a zealot? What comes to mind? Somebody who goes and kills a bunch of people for something he believes, right? They're zealot. Well, I don't think that's what he's saying. Because killing people isn't good. But, but zealousness for goodness is what he's talking about. You, that's just, you live, you breathe, you eat, you desire good. That's what you want to see. It's upright, it's self-controlled, it's saying no to worldly passions and desires, all the time looking forward to the future of the coming of Christ. That's the idea he has here. That stance and the attitude prepares the godly man or woman to approach the day and take whatever comes. Are you ready to take whatever comes? God has already granted it to you, the power, the energy, the desire. Uh, it, it, if we just step into it wholeheartedly out of two worlds into one and follow him with a whole heart. Let's break down some definitions. I told you we're going to come back to that world word renounce because that's part of figuring out what it means to be good and being righteous is to learn how to renounce ungodliness and sin. Okay, because he says that's what you do. First step, uh, renounce these things. Let's take apart the word renounce. The first part of it is re, R-E. It's a, it's a prefix. It's, uh, it's used to form verbs and nouns that show an action in answer 
or an intended action to undo or reverse something, okay? To undo or reverse something. I love to take apart words because you know re is a prefix, but did you know nounce is actually a word? We never use it, but let's look at the, the definition for nounce. When you type it into your phone, it says wrong. <laughs> when you type it in on Google, it says wrong. But if you make it, search for it, it actually comes up. It's a real world. The word nounce means to call or to say. So, renounce, uncall, or unsay, literally is what that definition of that word means. If you look up the actual definition, it says to formally declare one's abandonment of a claim, right, or possession. But I love that idea, uncall. You're going to uncall it. You, you, you have called, okay, I'm going to be, I'm gonna be this, this unrighteous, ungodly. Uh, that's how we are all, we're, we're born into it, we're grown up into it. When Christ saves us, we step out of it, and we renounce it. We uncall it. Not me anymore. That's not how I'm going to live. I'm going to renounce it. I'm going to abandon it. I'm going to declare to God, to the world, to the church, to my family, to everybody. I'm abandoning that. That's one of the things I love about baptism. When a person comes to faith in Christ and they're baptized, they're, they're, they're uncalling. They're renouncing their former way. I used to live like this. Now I'm in Christ and I live this way. I've renounced that. Listen to what it sounds like to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion, as Paul mentioned to Titus. He writes about it again. We were talking a lot about Paul. He did a lot of teaching in the New Testament. He wrote to a church in Ephesus. We know this in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. I'm going to read a couple verses if you want to turn to it. It's at page 569. Listen for the action words in here. One of them comes in the first verse. Page 589. It says, therefore, be imitators of God. I love that. As beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. That's why I put that up at the beginning. Praise the Lord. Give him thanksgiving. That's what's supposed to be on our lips. Thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. For you may be sure of this, he says, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetousness, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, Do not become partners with them. Does that sound familiar? He said that earlier, didn't he? Avoid these people. Do not become partners with these sin actions. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that is visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ 
will shine upon you. Listen to the words we've, we've, we've talked about. Imitate. That's one of the ways we look and we read Scripture. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we're doing the, the read the Bible through uh, this year again in, in a different format. We become what we read, what we watch. And, and so think about that. We talked about that recently. How much are you eating? <laughs> are you getting enough Bible in the week or are you starving to death, right? We read because we want to know who God is, how he defines l- good living, how he changes us, where he's pointing us, and we become imitators of that. We read about the life of Christ, and then we know, okay, Christ did this, Christ did this, Christ did this. I'm going to do that. You know, it's funny, even Paul. I, I love the story of Paul. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate the Father. And we look at Paul and we like, what a super spiritual giant hero guy, right? Could you today say to somebody as a new believer, imitate me as I imitate God? We should all be able to say that. As followers of Christ, as Christ's followers, we should be living transparent, holy, completely righteous lives before the Father that we're able to say, come along, follow me. Imitate me as I imitate God. Imitate. Then he says discern. You know that that word means to to look at something and see what's really happening. There's a call for discernment here. He says look at your life. A lot of times I think we, we hear the word discern and we think, oh, that means I look at everybody else. We like to look at everybody else. It's easy to see what's going on in somebody else's life versus what's going on in our life. But spend time discerning in your own life. And then he says, well, with the word discerning, he says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, right? Find out what pleases God. Again, study the Bible, read scripture. Find out what pleases God and imitate that. Then he says to expose. Expose unfruitful works of the darkness. Go before the Father, say, Lord, Father, show in me, expose in me unfruitful works works of darkness, that I may repent, that I may ask for forgiveness, and that I may step wholeheartedly into your kingdom and walk with you, fully righteous. Expose the things in me. And then he says, I I love the last verse, awake, O sleeper. He's writing to the church. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's saying, wake up, church, Wake up, arise, walk, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. And then we circle back to that word, renounce. Maybe there's something today you need to renounce. Maybe you've tried to follow Christ. Maybe, maybe you're still on that journey. You're still trying to figure out who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. How does that relate to me? What does it mean to leave sin and my will uh, and follow God? Maybe you're still on that journey, and that's a great place to be. Maybe you've navigated to that, that journey to the point where you said yes to the Lord, and he has placed Christ in you. He has saved you. He's marked you with the seal of the Holy Spirit. He's given you an inheritance in his kingdom, but you're still trying to work <laughs> Still trying to work some things out. In fact, Scripture says, work out your salvation. 
There's a day where your yes is yes and your no is no and God saves you, but there's this, there's this sense that, that that's not the end, that's the beginning. And you have to work it out. And maybe that process of working it out is renouncing some things along the way. And so maybe today you need to say, Lord, show me. Show me where those works of darkness expose those things in me so that I can renounce them. I can uncall them. I can put them away. I love the word abandon. I can abandon them. And I can live wholly planted in Christ as a Christ follower. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... uh, Not yet. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in us. Lord, we thank you for the challenge that the author of 1 Peter has given to us today. Lord, we thank you for the the challenge that Paul has laid before us. The call to renounce. So Lord, today expose in us any wicked way. Dispose any works of darkness. Show us if we're acting. Maybe we've been acting for so long we got good at it. Reveal those things in us, Lord, that we might repent, that we might ask for your forgiveness, that we might learn what it means to walk in holiness and uprightness before you. Lord, may we live in such a way that when the watching world looks in, it sees something that is real and true. Not an act, but reality. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his offer of salvation, Lord. And those of us who have received that gift of salvation, Lord, we thank you for it. Those of us who are still searching for it, Lord, we thank you for the offer and for the gift. Help us in our unbelief. Help us in our questions. Help us in our searching that you might lead us to truth. Lord, for those of us who are on the edge, Lord, we pray today, Lord, that we just accept, that they would just accept, just reach out, Lord, and say, yes, Lord, today I accept you as Lord and Savior. Not my will and not my way, but yours. Lord, thank you for forgiving us of our sin, for washing us, for cleansing us. But you didn't stop there, Lord. You gave us an abundant life to live and a purpose. And so, Lord, as we walk into that purpose, equip us for it. We know you've already granted these things to us, Lord. I pray today, Lord, that we would just pick them up and walk into them. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.